Good morning. It's great to be together today. I want to draw your attention to something inside your worship guide this morning, a card that looks like this. You probably already took note of that. Maybe you've had a chance to to read through it. Let me just tell you about uh, an exciting thing that is going to be happening here at Southside coming up in September. uh, We are moving towards a, a more unified approach to our teaching ministry at Southside. And what that means for you is that rather than you coming to church and uh, hearing five or six different messages that may or may not connect with each other in a given week if you participate in a small group and come on Wednesday nights or come on Sunday mornings, uh, we have made a strategic decision to uh, go with one idea through the course of a week and really focus as a church on that topic or on that scripture passage. And so what we are doing beginning in September with a brand new series that will start on September 9th is we are going to begin on Sunday mornings, just like we do, gathering together to be inspired by God's Word as we worship together. We'll introduce the idea that morning. And then on Wednesday night, if you are interested in joining us, we will be using our midweek worship service to actually answer questions that you will generate from Sunday morning. So if you have questions on the passage of Scripture that that I'm teaching or somebody else is teaching, uh, you will bring those questions with you on Wednesday night, and we will, uh, in, in in the fellowship, Hall, gather together after our meal at 5.30, at 6.30 when we have our midweek service, the whole service will be centered around answering the questions that we collectively have about that passage of scripture. Now, I'll warn you up front, the answer may be, I have no idea. But that's okay. We're going to come together and we're going to go a little deeper in the passage on Wednesday nights. Now, if you miss Sunday morning, you can join us on our digital campus because you can always listen to our podcast and watch the live stream and still join us Wednesday night. Wednesday night, we'll we'll go through those questions. And then for the small groups that choose to participate, we will be producing a small group study guide that in your small group, you can actually go even deeper into the conversation when you meet with your small group, either the following Sunday morning at 9.30 or through the week whenever your small group meets. That will be available for you as well. There's more information printed here. We're really excited about it. Look forward to uh, beginning. And actually, we're going to sort of start off this Wednesday night as we bring the book of Acts to a close. Uh, This Wednesday night, we are going to have a discussion about the book of Acts. And so if you've got some questions or as you've been reading through the book of Acts or walking through the book of Acts with us this year, Wednesday night, we're going to focus on uh, on summarizing the book of Acts and trying to answer some of the questions that it has brought to our mind over these uh, past few months. Now, we've been journeying together these last uh, several weeks through the life of the Apostle Paul. And I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments. I know I've had many in the course of my life. I I tried to narrow it down to just one or two examples, but I couldn't choose them. There were so many of them. Have you ever had that, uh, that, that moment where you felt like just when you think it can't get any worse... I'm seeing a lot of heads shaking, especially the older you are, the more your head is shaking. That's an interesting, interesting reality about life, isn't it? You know, so, so one day you get up and your, your alarm didn't go off, you're late for work, and as you're getting your coffee, you spill coffee on your shirt, you have to change. You get in the car, you realize, you know, whoever drove the car last, which was probably you, left it empty and you have to go get gas in the car. And then as you're pulling out of the gas station, uh, you know, the, the roofers who were at your house left nails in the driveway and you realize you have a flat tire. So then you go to, you know, get air in the tire. And, and no sooner than you get out and to change the tire, you realize you locked your keys in the car. Just when you think it can't get any worse, right? And then it starts to rain, right? I mean, just when you think it can't get any worse. That's how life is a lot of times. Just when you think it can't get any worse, it always seems to find a way to just get a little bit worse. That's what the Apostle Paul's life was like. 
Now, really, his life started off pretty well. He came from a good family. He had a good education. And, and everything was going along just fine until he began to hear stories about this one who claimed to be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And his followers began to tell stories about Jesus. And, and they had executed Jesus, but everybody claimed that Jesus had come back to life three days afterwards. And so these rumors were going around Jerusalem. And Paul's life really began to, to shake at that point as he began to go around and try to dispel these rumors and these myths as he saw them about Jesus and the resurrection but no sooner than he was on his way to Damascus to continue to, to stamp out this message, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And his life was wrecked. He was blind for three days. He would eventually get his eyesight back. But from that moment forward, nothing in his life would ever be the same. And, and he went back to Jerusalem, but none of the Christians believed that he had changed. They all believed that he was still persecuting the church. Eventually, they slowly began to trust him just a little bit, but they didn't want him working in the same city, so he went off to Antioch, where he began to share the message of the gospel, and, and he went out from there with Barnabas to different places, and everywhere he went, he would go and share the story about Jesus, but there would be people who would persecute him. He would be stoned. He would be put on trial. He'd be thrown in prison. Uh, friends would abandon him and leave him, and we've seen this time and again. Finally, he goes back to Jerusalem, the, the, where the whole story began, and and the Jews trump up false charges against him, and they, there's a mob that comes, and they're threatening to kill Paul until the Romans come and rescue Paul from the mob. And, and, and while he's on trial with the Romans, he's handed from one governor to the next. He's in prison for two or three, four years before finally he is sent off to Rome where he will appeal his case before Caesar. But on his way, just when he thinks it can't get any worse, he's in a shipwreck. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to Acts chapter 27, and let's look at this shipwreck. And here's the idea that I want you to listen to. Now, if you don't hear anything else, if you're going to check out or leave early, this is the whole point of the message, and maybe, maybe one of the significant points of the life of the Apostle Paul, and it is this. The key to surviving a storm is what you do while the waters are calm. The key to surviving a storm is what you do when the waters are calm. Let's just say that together, would you? The key to surviving a storm is what you do while the waters are calm. You see, here's the thing. If you get on a cruise ship and you're leaving to go on a cruise ship out into the sea in the middle of the ocean, you really want the crew to have prepared and trained before they left the shore. You want them to have made sure there are life vests on the, on the ship. You want to make sure that there are, uh, there are life rafts on the ship. You want them to make sure everything is done, and they need to do that when? When they're still in port. Because if they've already left port, it's too late to do some of those things then. You want to make sure those things are done before you leave. Here's, here's how that applies to our lives. When the storms of your life come, and they will come, what you do before the storm is what is essential in making sure you're prepared for when the storms will eventually come your way. So what I want to look at today, as we consider the life of the Apostle Paul in this shipwreck, I want us to look at four essentials for storm readiness. Four essentials for storm readiness. Now, Paul has been put on a ship, and he has been sent off to go to, uh, to, go to uh, Rome. And on his way, as they're sailing about, he is telling 
all the captains that this is not a good idea. We shouldn't leave this time of year. Of course, they assume that this is just an excuse to delay the inevitable. Or or they're, they're motivated by profits because they've got cargo on the ship that they're being paid to transport back to Rome. And they've got to do it by a particular time. But eventually, the storm becomes too much. And sure, just as Paul said, the ship is at risk. And so in Acts chapter 27, verse 20, here's what we read. And the first essential for storm readiness is confidence in the Lord of the storm confidence in the Lord of the storm. If you're going to be prepared to face the storm, you have to build confidence in the Lord of the storm before the storm comes. Look what happens to Paul. Acts 27 verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, You should have listened to me and not sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Don't you love it when somebody says, I told you so? (laughs) And I love the fact that Luke included this because it just reminds us that Paul is human. Because if you had been Paul and you had given them that warning, you would have said, I told you so too. And so Paul said, look guys, I told you this was going to happen. You should have listened to me. But now that it has happened, you need to know that no life is going to be lost. Now, how did Paul know that? Look at verse 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belonged and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who will sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told but we must run aground on some island. So, so here's what Paul had that the rest of the crew didn't have. He had confidence in the Lord of the storm. God had told him that he had to take the gospel message to Rome. And all through his journey, God has continued to assure him, Paul, you're going to be imprisoned, you're going to be stoned, you're going to be left for dead, but you have to get the message to Rome. So no matter what crisis Paul faced, he had the confidence of knowing that God has told me, I have to get to Rome. So in the middle of the storm, God gives him another reminder. Paul, remember what I told you. Don't be afraid. The storm is raging around you, but you have got to get to Rome. And everybody on the ship is going to arrive there safely with you. Now, if this story sounds a little bit familiar, it should. Because like so many things in the Bible, we see patterns. Patterns where God continues to reveal himself through similar stories, similar examples. And if you remember a story back in the Old Testament about a missionary named Jonah. And Jonah was told to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, he didn't have to get on a ship to go to Nineveh. He just had to cross land to get there. But Jonah decided he didn't want to go to Nineveh. So he got on a ship and began to sail for Tarsus. And while he was out at sea, a storm rose up. And Jonah knew that he was the reason the storm had come. Because God was trying to use the storm to redirect him to go where he had called Jonah to go in the first place. Finally, Jonah tells all the people on the ship, Hey, if you throw me overboard, the storm will subside and you'll survive. And sure enough, they tossed Jonah overboard, the storm subsided, Jonah made it to shore via a very big fish, and he goes and does what God tells him to do. Now in this story, what you see is Paul is doing exactly what God called him to do, and there was still a storm. Sometimes we are told that the storms of life only come if we are outside of the will of God. If you've been told that, 
you've been lied to or at least misled. Because the storms of life will come if you're following God's will for your life, and the storms of life will come if you're not following God's will for your life. But the Lord is still the Lord of every storm regardless. And so we have to learn to build our confidence in God when the skies are clear in order to know that we have confidence in when the storms come. Because just because a storm has come in your life doesn't mean that you're not following God's will for his will for your life. It may very well mean that God is doing something you can't see. That God is at work in a way that you don't understand in the midst of the storm. But every storm in life is not an indication that you're not following God's plan. Another story that, that echoes what we're seeing here in Acts 27 is found in the story of Jesus with the disciples. Remember the story where the disciples get on a boat and they go to cross the Sea of Galilee and Jesus isn't with them. He's up on the mountain praying and they get in the boat and they're headed across the Sea of Galilee and in the middle of the night a storm comes. And these are experienced fishermen, so this must have been a really bad storm. But they're, they're panicked, they're worried, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And in the middle of the storm, they see some figure walking across the water, and the Bible tells us they were terrified. They were terrified. Why were they afraid? They were afraid because the storm was obscuring, obscuring their vision of Jesus. They didn't realize it was Jesus walking to them in the middle of the storm. The storms of your life will obscure your vision, too. There will be times in the middle of the storm that you will say, I don't know where God is. I can't see God in the midst of this storm. Which is why you have to become so familiar with Jesus when the skies are clear. You have to become so familiar with the ways of God before the storms of life come. So that when the storms of life come and obscure your vision, you can have the faith and confidence of knowing that he who promised I will never leave you nor forsake you is true to his word even in the middle of the storm. See, storms will always obscure our ability to see clearly. And that's why it is so important that we place our confidence in the Lord of the storm before the storms come. The second thing, the second essential for storm readiness is a unified crew. A unified crew. Look what he says in verse 27 and following. When the 14th night had come. Now don't miss that. This has been going on for 14 nights. When the 14th night had come. We were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow... Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So Paul sees some of these guys are about to make a quick escape, and he calls out to him and says, hey, if you do that, you will die. The only safe place is on this boat. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boats and let it go. When the storms come, the cracks in our relationships are the very place that the ship of our life will begin to take on water. There are cracks in relationships that you have right now that are not a big problem. They're not a big deal right now. There, there are just ways in which maybe you and your spouse, or you and your kids, you and your parents, you and a coworker, maybe, maybe there's just some things, there's some tension, some underlying tension there, and it's okay. You can get through day to day. You can get through uh, what you have to do on a weekly, monthly basis as long as the waters are calm. 
But when a storm comes, that fissure in the relationship that's no big deal when the waters are calm begins to be the place where your boat begins to take on water. You see, it's in the midst of the calm that we have to begin to evaluate our relationships and understand how important it is that the relationships that we have with the people who are on the ship of life with us, that they're strong. Because when the storm comes, those relationships are going to be tried. All the people on the boat with Paul, all those paid merchant, they were ready to abandon ship. They were ready to take care of number one, forget everybody else. They were ready to leave the boat. And Paul said, don't do it. Don't leave in the middle of the storm. Because the only safe place for you to be is on the ship. God has already told me, everybody on the ship with me will be saved. But if you get off the boat, you'll be lost. I just wonder how many relationships you have right now. Things are good. Things are calm. But there are just some things that need to be said. There's some conversations that need to be had. There's some hurt that, that needs to be reconciled. Some apologies that need to be offered. Some forgiveness that needs to be extended. And, and, and listen, you can go on another day, a week, a month, a year, maybe two years. But when the next storm comes, those relationships are going to be tried. And at the point of their weakness is where they will fail. And you have to deal with those issues while the waters are calm. You have to take care of those things while the waters are still. Because when the storm comes, it'll be too late to deal with it then. The third essential for storm readiness is a healthy portion of encouragement and gratitude. A healthy portion of encouragement and gratitude. Look at verse 33. As day was about to dawn... Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today in the four, is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Now, I would imagine if you've been on a ship for 14 days in the middle of a storm rocking, you probably don't feel much like eating. But Paul recognizes, hey, we're not going to be able to endure this if we don't get some kind of nutrients. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any one of you. Now, notice, notice something interesting here. Who is, what, what role does Paul play on this ship? What's his position? What's his role? Somebody, he's a prisoner. He, he is cargo being carted to Rome to be put on trial. He's a prisoner. But notice what happens in the middle of the storm. Where's the captain? Where are the experienced sailors? We don't have anything. We don't, they're not giving advice. They're not giving directions to anybody. Suddenly, Paul is the one who's giving directions and advice to everybody on the ship. And you know what's even more amazing? They're listening to him. Because that's what storms do, don't they? Storms tend to show us who the real leaders are. And the real leaders are usually the people who have taken the time before the storm of life to get their house in order so that they're prepared to lead in the middle of the storm. And here Paul is offering leadership to them. And when he had said these things, listen to this now. This should sound familiar. He took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. You know what I think's happening here? I think Paul is taking the bread and breaking it and remembering that this is the body of Christ, which is broken for you. You see, just before Jesus was arrested, he had done the same thing in the upper room with the disciples. 
Before the storm broke loose, Jesus had taken bread and broken it and said, Take, eat this. This is my body broken for you. Take this wine and drink it. This is my blood which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why did Jesus do that just before his arrest? Because he knew the storms were coming and they would need to be something to anchor the faith and the souls of his followers as the storm raged on. I think Paul's doing the same thing here. In fact, what we're going to see in just a minute, that as soon as they ate this meal... Because they were worried about the weight of the ship, they threw everything, including all the food, overboard. They have one last meal together before what many of them thinks will be their death. They toss everything overboard, and they're just by faith hoping for a miracle. And Paul, in the middle of the storm, takes the bread, and he gives thanks, and he offers encouragement to them. Makes me think of what he wrote to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. In the middle of a storm that's raging, Paul's giving thanks to God. I wonder in the storm of your life if you're being reminded to give thanks in the middle of the difficulty that you're facing. Are are there things that you should be grateful for? Maybe the storm has actually reminded you of some of the things that you haven't said thank you for in a long time. But an attitude of gratitude permeates the ship as Paul takes the bread and breaks it. It reminds me of what the writer of Hebrews said in 10.25. As you meet together, encourage one another. How important it is in the difficult times for us to be bound together in that unity of the crew and offering gratitude to God who drew us together and offering encouragement to one another in the midst of the storm. It's exactly what Paul was doing. And this needs to happen before you enter the next storm. You've got to establish those relationships with people who will encourage you through the storms of life before the storm comes. It's one of the reasons we encourage you to get involved in a small group. It's great what we do here, but circles are better than rows. And when you are in the midst of a storm, you are going to want people to hold you up on either side of you. Some of you have been through those storms. And you know the benefit of having relationships with people who will stand beside you in the middle of the storm and encourage you and remind you to give thanks in all circumstances. But those relationships are formed before the storm comes, not in the middle of the storm. Paul served the Lord's Supper and reminded them, we have a lot to be thankful for. No matter how bad it gets, we have this to be thankful for, that God has sent his own son to us. And that we can have life eternal in him, regardless of the storms that come. The fourth essential for storm readiness is a realistic assessment of the circumstances. A realistic assessment of the circumstances. Look what he goes on and says in verse 42. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them into the sea, and at the same time loosened the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisted the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. Isn't that interesting? The centurion didn't want Paul to die. Because in the middle of the storm, I believe the centurion came to recognize something about Paul that he wanted in his own life. He saw a steadiness in the middle of the storm that he himself didn't have. 
So he didn't want Paul to be executed. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. 276 people got on the ship, and 276 people got off the ship, just like God had promised Paul. Now, I think it's important to remember that when we're going through the storms of life, uh, that we are not, as Christians, called to offer false hope. False hope is no hope at all. People know when you're pandering. I mean, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I've met Christians or experienced Christians who, when things are going bad, they'll just be like, well, praise the Lord. Isn't God good? God's good all the time. Pass the fried chicken. And they've just got this Pollyannic idea, and you're like, you know, everything in you wants to just like shake them and say, do you not see what's going on around you? That's, I think it's important for us to have a realistic assessment of what's actually happening. Paul did not try to sugarcoat what was happening on the ship. He said, guys, this is bad. This should lead to our death and to the destruction of the ship. But praise God, it's not going to. Because I've got confidence in the Lord of the storm. Because I've got a hope that goes beyond the circumstances I'm facing right now. See, Christians shouldn't deny the storms of life, but should be people who not only point them out, but also point beyond those circumstances to the hope that lies in Jesus Christ. You see, only when people understand how bad things are can they ever hope for things to be better in Jesus Christ. Only when they recognize how desperate the situation is can they truly be transformed by the miracle of Jesus' rescue. And sometimes we have to, as followers of Jesus, we have to offer a realistic assessment of the situation, but also point beyond the current circumstance to the hope that's in Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we just think about what it means for us to surviving a storm, to preparing while the waters are calm, I want us to share communion together. And I want us to do it not because I think Paul served communion in this way on the ship that day. I don't think it was anything organized or nearly as um, symbolic as what we're going to do today. But I think somewhere in Paul's heart, he knew and understood and was anchored in the hope that came through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just like those disciples began to understand Jesus as he walked across the water and spoke to the storms and said, peace be still. So in the storms of our life, our confidence in God can be strengthened through the storms of life. But we have to be prepared. We have to put our faith in him and our confidence in him while the waters are still calm. And so that night, Jesus gathered the disciples together. They had no idea what was getting ready to happen. Many of them thought Jesus was still going to be crowned king of Israel and he was going to kick the Romans out. And they were just hoping to be in his cabinet, sit on his right and his left-hand side. They had no idea. But Jesus knew. And so he took the bread and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Hold on to this hope. When things are bad, don't give up. Because even though it's Friday and the crucifixion is real, The promise of the resurrection is still coming. And so today, in the middle of your storm, or maybe before the next storm comes, I want us to gather together and to take the Lord's Supper together. I'm going to ask those who are helping to serve to come forward and take their positions. And as they're making their way 
uh, to their places. There will be two in the balcony on either side. And if you're in the balcony, when we begin to serve, you can just go to either side of the balcony as you feel ready to do that. If you're on the floor, what we will do is we will have ushers who will make their way down the aisles and they'll release you one row at a time. Both of these sections will exit down and come down this aisle and you will go back the opposite way you come out. So this side you'll come out in the center aisle and you'll go back by the wall. This side you'll come out in the center aisle and go back by the wall. Center, you will come out to your right and you'll go back to your left. And as you come forward, these who are standing up front will offer you just a simple cracker. Much like the waters of baptism, there's nothing magic about them. There's nothing special about this cracker. But what it symbolizes is incredibly special. Because it signifies the body of Christ that's been broken for you. And you'll take that cracker and then you will dip it inside, inside the cup. And that, that juice, that grape juice, represents the blood of Jesus that's been poured out for you. And so as you come forward and you take communion, I just ask you, in the middle of your storm or before the next storm comes, to place your hope in remembering what God has already done for you and demonstrating his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also not give us all good things? So this morning, we invite you to come and take communion. If you are a baptized follower of Jesus Christ, you are welcome to participate. It doesn't matter where you're a member of a church or if you're even a member of a church anywhere. If you are a baptized follower of Jesus, you're welcome to participate. If you don't feel prepared today to participate, we invite you to to stay where you're seated and to listen and to observe and to pray. For those of you who aren't physically able to come forward, uh, the ushers in the aisle will have the elements and they will serve you uh, from where you are seated. But I want to invite you now to join me as we pray together and as we begin to remember what Jesus has done for us through the taking of the Lord's Supper. Father, we come to you in the calm and stillness of this moment, knowing that that is not always the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And so right now in this moment, while it's still and quiet, Lord, I pray that we would anchor our souls in the ultimate expression of your love for us, demonstrated through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, that, Father, our hope might be firmly rooted in Jesus. And that, Lord, as the storms come, and they surely will, that we might have the confidence, like Paul, to stand and to offer peace to those who are in panic because of the storm. Lord, for those who are in the middle of a storm right now, may this simple reminder, much like Paul on that boat, may this simple reminder, may it draw our hearts and our minds back to your promises your promise to never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, the, the promise that it's you who come to us in the middle of the storms, even when our eyes can't see. Lord, we invite you to move in our hearts and our lives during this time as we take this communion. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.